This latest podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Focal USA and the Council on Queen West. Also, be sure to register your email address on our website, centerofusenation.com, for all our weekly updates directly to your inbox. Welcome to today's podcast of Center of Loose Nation. This is Pat LaRusso. I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Sino. Um, this podcast is definitely jam-packed. Uh, the second part um, of this podcast includes an interview Anthony did with uh, Sam Turpak uh, in regards to the NHL entry-level or entry-level draft. Um, but I do want to um, start off this podcast with, um, you know, the news that broke yesterday from the day one of free agency to the news just prior to free agency uh, break or starting um, with the trade of Matt Murray. Um, so I guess, Anthony, before we kind of go into more specifics, um, I kind of want to get your your take on how you would grade day one of free agency for the Leafs. Just very high level, just A to D, and then we'll kind of break it down, our grades from from there. So I think the, the, the most fair grade would have to be like, like about just slightly above average, I would say is that, so I'm thinking maybe a B, B plus because I do, I, I have some concerns about um, the forward group at, at this moment. Um, I have some concerns about some players that haven't been traded yet to make money to like make a cap space available to make those specific moves. So I'm tentative to give anything higher than that. And obviously there could be something that what could happen in the near future or while we're recording this exact podcast. So it's, it's too early to tell, but based off the current moves, I'm going to say B plus. Yeah. You know, the more I kind of thought of it uh, as I was listening to you speak, I'm at that point too, but I always find that to grade like an off season, doesn't it always relate back to your, your needs? Like Ottawa looks like, they hit a home run with all the signings and all the activity that they did. But when you look at where Ottawa was to where they are today, like they had the cap space because they were a rebuilding team. Um, you know, the expectations are so much lower for Ottawa coming into this off season. You know what I mean? So a team that makes a splash all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, you know, look at, look at all the home runs. And then it could still fall flat. And we've seen cases of that with, the Vegas Golden Knights with the Florida Panthers. Um, you know what I mean? Um, so I think when I look at what the Leafs needs are, because they have the reigning MVP, they have, you know, the two-time Rocket Richard trophy winner in, in Austin Matthews. They have Mitch Marner. They have Tavares and Nylander already under contract, where if you're looking at just name brand, the Leafs didn't really dip into too, too much. But from a needs perspective, I thought, you know, at least very, you know, before the games are even played and we really know how things shake out, that that would be, Anthony, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I would give the Lisa a B plus. So, I, okay, so I'm, I'm with you in a sense that a lot of it is based off needs, but also I think a lot of it should be evaluated. Like, it's too early to evaluate. You know what I mean? We, we go into these... We watch these shows and I get it. Like it's entertainment. It's big dollars uh, available for these media companies, specifically TSN, who doesn't have an NHL, like any NHL rights, right? Like and TSN makes their money on 
trade deadline day, free agency day. You know what I mean? Like days before the season where they got to make, they got to make themselves get their clicks. They got to put their stake in the ground and, and say something that's palpable and that could, will get people talking about their show. So to, to say that who won the off season on really, let's just say, <laughs> let's call it day 14 of the off season. If we include the draft, like you, you have a whole summer, you know what I mean? There's a lot of yeah. things up in the air. Matthew Kachuk doesn't have a contract yet. Who, if the St. Louis blues go out and get Matthew Kachuk, like how, you're telling me that they're not ahead of Ottawa in the sense of who won the off season. The St. Louis blues were, a couple games away from a conference final and lost to the eventual cup champs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just throwing out a, a specific thing. You know what I mean? We Calgary flames, like right now they look awful. They just yeah. lost out on Johnny Goudreau. So there's, there's a lot of things going on and a lot of things that could still happen to say someone has won the off season on, on day 14, let's call it is, is outlandish to me, but I don't, I think Ottawa has made some great moves. But again, going and I told multiple people that I know that are Ottawa fans yesterday is that like it's easy to come out from the bottom and be excited when you make some big splashes. Yeah. And to go back to it and I, I would not tr- go back and uh, I would not go back and read undo the Tavares signing. I think it was the right move at the time, but the whole debate about whether it was or not is a whole giant shit show frankly i can't believe people still talk about it but i for this specific purpose i go back to that day and i say wow like look how many people thought that the Leafs were immediately stanley cup contenders that that day after they signed them you know what i mean we got Tavares, matthews kadri down the middle marner nylander and obviously there's questions about the defense but like people were going nuts and look what happened losing game seven in embarrassing fashion, honestly, in Boston again. You know what I mean? Obviously, Kadri suspended, all those different things, but the puck hasn't dropped yet. You know what I mean? People are – TSN's going on yesterday about, oh, who's jumping up and into the Atlantic division and who is dropping out, and people are saying Boston, Florida, even Toronto. Craig Button, I know, had some very daunting takes about the Leafs and how they're further away from a Stanley cup in terms of their roster as they were last year. Mind you, Craig button says a lot of stupid shit that he always ends up being wrong about. I believe he said the same thing about the Leafs this time last year in the off season. And the Leafs went on to have a 115 point season. You know what I mean? So with average goaltending actually below with, average goaltending. Yeah, exactly. Right. So like, and, and, the famous, the most famous Craig Button line is that he didn't think Montreal was going to win a single game in that playoff <laughs> series. And uh, he could have been very well right if Tavares didn't get that tragic injury. But like, who knows there again, we're, we're spit, we're, we're going off a tangent a little bit, yeah. but yeah, I think overall you can't say anything, but the Atlantic did get stronger. You know what I mean? And something I did notice just before we get into the nitty gritty of these signings, Pat, and you can give me your quick thoughts on it is that it seems like every team in the East is buying and the West is selling. You know what I mean? Aside from some like moves, think about the, the, the players that left the Western conference and came over to the Eastern conference yesterday, Brent Burns, Johnny Goudreau, Max Pacioretty, 
Um, uh, who else? There's got to be a few more. That, uh, though, but those are like the three big ones. Um, Nazem Kadri could very well be leaving the Western Conference. You know what I mean? Andre Palat stays in the East. He goes to the Metro Division. Uh, Vincent Trocek stays in the East. Like all these good players, no one, I feel like no good players went from like East to West. You know what I mean? To balance out the talent that has come in. The East is going to be really, really strong. Darcy Kemper goes from West to East, goes to Washington. You know what I mean? I guess the only one is Jack Campbell going from East to West. And, and we could talk about that now, if that's a good, if you feel that that's a good segue, but yeah, it's okay, going to be, be imperative that to have a good regular season, right? Yeah, and, and really, like, at the end of the day, these same talking heads for the last year and a half were always harping on the Leafs for having Jack Campbell. You know, he's a goalie that's never had a full 82-game season, and he's never played a full season, and, you know, his numbers aren't the best, and you Injuries. know what I mean? Injuries. Injuries, right? Like, if if I'm taking, like, and, and contract and term matter, and I know, you, Anthony, you wrote a, a great blog about the Leafs cap situation, how it frees up to, you know, really be able to spend on Matthews and Marner and Elander, you know, in those important years. Um, so then that takes me right. That kind of rolls me back into my Campbell Murray debate, right? Like Murray on a one year is easier to flip. If this year Dude. isn't his year. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like Campbell at five times five. at a, And you're paying that on a goalie. That's 30 years old who played his first full NHL season really didn't play a full NHL season. Cause with all the injuries this year, and had below league average from January to May. Like, I don't understand. Like, I get it. And then if you look at, you can flip that and you look at Murray's back half of his season last year, up until the point that he suffered a concussion. I think Ian Mendes, who who follows the, the Ottawa Senators, had Murray at what, at 0.941 goal save percentage? Yeah, he was a... He On was a rebuilding a nine, team? He, he was a 9.15 until oh, the very last game of the season where he... And this was just surface stats. We obviously yeah. have a lot more details yeah. that we could talk about, but I th- believe he was a nine fifteen going into that last game, and then let in like eight goals against Arizona. Where if you saw the goals, I, I've seen someone tweet out like the link to all eight of those goals. It's just yeah. like it's just one of those days. And if that's yeah. and he goes from a nine fifteen to a nine oh seven or nine oh six or whatever. But then, it is, but then right? that's still so, better than Campbell. Well, yeah, and right, and like, if, and like if that's the, what we want to get into now, I can. Yeah, we, we can like, list off a bunch of things here, and I and I do have something that I want to talk about at the end of when we go into these stats, where it really provides context into the situation of Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov that provide I thought a pretty objective view of of the goaltending, one that we didn't see yesterday on TSN. Thankfully, they're on their TV show. There was it was just me personally, a bunch of has been front office people and some players from the Leafs, uh, former Leafs and O'Neill, Koliakovo. You got McLennan, who is very pro Western bias, right? He's from there. You got Hayes, who's a host, Brian Hayes, who's a host, who's on there. Gino Retta. I don't know what the hell he was on yesterday, but he just seemed to like, like it's their, I get it. It's their job to like, find a clip worthy uh, uh, a scene that's clip worthy that they could share on their page but like no one seemed to talk to an actual goalie expert the goalie expert was marty Biron. 
You know what I mean? Like, where is the modern, where is the modern point of view of what goaltending is? And I was look, I was searching for that all day. Right. And it just wasn't existing on television. Then I come across, um, and maybe Pat, maybe I'll go into this first before we get into the actual stats to get yeah. like a good objective story of like the, the pathway of Matt Murray. And I just made some notes here from, and you could please go listen to the, um, the actual interview on Leafs lunch. I believe it was yesterday. It's Kevin Woodley from in goal uh, is a company that just is like, it focuses specifically on goalies, um, their technique, everything goalie scouting. It's more in depth than anything that you could probably find in the industry today. And Kevin goes in to talk about how Murray's at the beginning of his career, he basically won two cups and I'm paraphrasing all this. He basically won two cups uh, using a technique of, as a goalie where it's not really applicable to this modern game, even though he won those cups, like maybe five, six years ago, it, the game has changed very clearly after them. And Kevin mentions that uh, Murray struggles or struggled past tense to move east west right he was he was a low he was he's a big guy so he always stayed low in the butterfly and it's harder to slide in the butterfly as opposed to when you're more a little bit upright and athletic and even though he won two cups like that um it was because a lot of it could have been because of pittsburgh's inability or ability to limit those chances however he talks about how he ended up working with a guy named Adam Francilia, who is the goalie that coach that worked with Connor Hellebuck before the year before he won his Vesna, right? So you, if you remember that year that Hellebuck broke out, he won a Vesna that year after working with this guy named Adam, who Murray had started to work with after he moved from Pittsburgh. In this case, so again. Uh, fast forward to the trade from Ottawa or from Pittsburgh to Ottawa, Matt Murray goes to Ottawa and Kevin gives some insight here that Ottawa knew that Murray was going to take about a year to adapt to this new goalie style that he was trying to build to adapt to the modern game. However, like we know with how Ottawa was run with the, with the late Eugene Melnick being the owner there, obviously every dollar is, is being watched there with uh, Eugene being a little bit cheap. So they fire their goalie coach in the middle of the season, right? And then after that, this is in the middle of Matt making his adaptations to the modern game. Then we get into Matt's injury. He has a neck injury in Ottawa. And again, the lack of funds in Ottawa or the lack of willing to spend clearly is they, they basically have Matt being treated for a neck injury by like a physician, not a specialist. So Again, setting them not setting them up for success. I'll, if, if, and Pat, I can see you agreeing with me there. Is that you're yeah. you're you're clearly not you invested in this guy, and you're not even setting him up for success, even after a, an injury like that. He couldn't even move his arm properly, and he couldn't close his glove hand. So, again, what are we not setting up for success? Fast forward to the prior year, he actually is, and I his adjusted save percentage uh, based off ClearSight Analytics was actually ranked 15th in the NHL, right? I think Jack Campbell was like 31st or something like that out of goalies. And obviously there's more than 31 goalies that were in this sample size. So it's, it, although a small sample, Matt did perform well as to your point. And then 
the very last thing that uh, he talks about with Matt here is that um, he expects Ian, uh, an Ian Clark uh, protege, let's call him, in Curtis Sanford, who's now the Leafs goalie coach, is a guy that can really help Matt with the last thing that he needs improvement on. And that's his post integration, which is like how he uh, enters into like covering the side of the net for our, our fans that don't really know exactly what that technical term means. So how Matt interacts with the, the, the ends of the goal and, and his transition out of those positions is going to be a, a very huge talking point for Sanford. And the good thing is that Sanford is work with a guy who is on the cutting edge of this type of technique. So it, it is something that the Leafs are educated on and know about and are planning for actively. So all of this to say is that Matt Murray was talked about and ran through the gutter yesterday as a guy who's washed up, has no future, always injured, and basically people are calling it doomsday. Yet in a 15-minute interview on on the radio yesterday, I learned more about his story than I learned from a six-hour show that you you had yesterday. For me, the one name that stood out, and I don't always like Tracos's writing from the Toronto Sun, but he did an article on Matt Murray. And the one name that he highlighted um, that has had a really um, positive, positive impact on Matt Murray's career is actually John Elkin, the Leafs, yeah. the, 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 a new hire to the Leafs uh, goaltending. I don't know. I actually um, think group. he's new. I don't think he's new. I think he's just like a, he's, he's part of their new goalie department yeah but part of the he new was always department. a scout he was a scout with yeah. the team for a while right but now he's actually working hand in hand with the goalies yeah. yep. and there was a story that was shared about matt murray's time with the sioux greyhounds in the ohl where matt was really going through a really tough time and john elkin came in he's like the goalie whisperer and you know and we all know anthony you and i both know like goalies are voodoo but and a lot of it's mental and a lot of it comes down to like confidence and we've seen how confidence can tank guys like jack campbell and and and, and freddie as well during his third times here in toronto um but john seems to have this touch with matt where you know after work after working with him for a little bit i think this, the story goes that Matt had like an under 900 goals save percentage, and then it jumped up to like 941 after working with John for, you know, a couple of months. You know, there's something, there's a lot to be said about what happens behind the scenes that can really impact what you see in front of the camera on a game-to-game basis. And when you're looking at a guy like Matt Murray, who tragically lost his father four years ago, who then went to Ottawa and was in, you know, a rebuilding environment, which they didn't really have the defense to kind of support him. And Anthony, you know, you highlighted some other stuff um, in regards to his injury management. But for a guy like Matt Murray, he's coming into Toronto. He's going to be motivated. You know, he spoke very highly of the Leafs and and how much they were his father's favorite team. And then now you're surrounding with him with, um, you know, John again on a more daily basis. I'm more... I'm going to lean more to this working out for Matt and he's all Matt's also coming in with a huge chip on his shoulder. You know, so many people are, are underestimating him that this could be where he finds his game. You know, he's playing behind a better defense than he's seen during his entire time in Ottawa. You know, that's one thing that killed the Leafs last year. It wasn't their defense. It was getting league below league average goaltending, 
from January to May that, you know, you win a couple games here, you make a couple saves there and you win an extra couple games. The Leafs could have easily won a division last year. Well, I think Anthony, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't they only like five points out from Florida? It might've been a little bit more now that I remember, but it was close. It was, it was close enough where you're like, you win a couple games here or there. Yeah. That could swing the difference. If they got average to just slightly above average, which based on what they were paying, right. For their goalies last year, they should have expected above average goaltending. I believe they spent about $5.4 million on their goaltending last year. Right. And it's, about a million less than what they're paying this year. And obviously it's a direct comparable because the cap's flat, like you've been talking about on Twitter recently, Pat. Yeah. And it's just, okay, dollars. I'm, I'm a big proponent of dollars spent should not always correlate to results because especially when I'm talking, you're talking about bottom of the lineup players, but with your goaltending, you the whole, the, in theory, dollars spent should add up to, to value. that, right? I, I, in, I guess, in theory. But, like, we, we've seen this team, and mind you, they, they're, they might very well be worse on paper, but we thought the same thing on, on, about them on paper last year. You know what I mean? No one knew who the hell David Camp was. Or, or Michael Bunting, and Michael I was a Bunting. big advocate. I, I, I know I personally took hits for defending that signing, and everyone's going, oh, you know, and I remember. Well, no, I, I don't think it was that. I don't think it was people were mad about the signing. It was like people were like, how is this? I'm just focused on the point where it's like, how is this team not worse? They just lost Zach Hyman. You know what I mean? Yeah. And how are they going to replace Zach Hyman? Well, they replaced Zach Hyman for 400 and 400, sorry, $4 million less or 400 and $4.5 million less. I forget what Hyman signed for Yeah, less on and less term with a younger guy. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a shame Bunting got hurt the right before the playoffs and we didn't see his like his full impact. But again, like we've seen time and time again, that Dubas has been able to replace guys after they leave. And we'll get into some of those other forward signings yet, but, but after we talk about the goalies, but yeah, the oh, big for me. Sorry, for me, ahead. Anthony. The big, the big narrative that I that I've always grown frustrated with is this whole goalie idea, and it's so funny. Like I said, for the last year and a half, Campbell couldn't win here in Toronto, and then all of a sudden he becomes the home run that makes Edmonton's day one of free agency a home run. Like, I just, I just don't see it. And we're looking at Edmonton team that continually seems to enjoy signing ex Leafs when, but when they were Leafs, were no good. You couldn't win with them. But you put them the same players back together in Edmonton, and they're all of a sudden a home run. Like I just, I, I can't, I, I, personally, I just, I, I can't get I think, behind it. I think what it is is that people are saying, you know, and I'm, I'm, I hate to keep referencing these guys, but like Koliakovo, he, he says, you knew what you had with Jack Campbell. He only cost four hundred thousand more on the cap pit per year. Why would you not sign Jack? Even forget the term because you're trying to win now. You knew what you had with Jack Campbell. You don't know what you have with Matt Murray. To that, I would say, does Jack not have questions too? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, was he not one of the worst goalies last year uh, in the back half of the season? I'm not even going to – I know, Pat, I know earlier we talked about all the stats. Just 
if you if you care enough, go look at the back half and look for yourself. Me just yeah. rhyming off the stats, it's only going to well, waste no, he, our, he, ta- our time. We know yeah. that he was bad. We saw it as Leaf yeah. fans. We saw him play. We saw him. The Leafs cost him games. Did yeah. he rebound and and come back in the playoffs? Kinda. Yes. Kind of. of, you know what I mean? Like he didn't Kinda. lose them. He didn't lose them the series, but, but he didn't win it for them. He didn't win it for them. I, I, exactly. And I, when I was looking at all the goalies that moved or were rumored to be moved and had t- some, some trade rumor ties to the Leafs, you look at all of them. All right. I'm going to list them off. Vili Huso, Alexander Gorgiev, both traded for, and then signed. Uh, Eric Comrie, free agent. Yaroslav Halak, free agent. Cam Talbot, traded for. Um, Darcy Kemper, big t- uh, signed as a free agent. Jack Campbell, signed as a free agent. Elias Samsonov, obviously goes to the Leafs for a one-year 1.8. And then Matt Murray, traded for to the Leafs. Out of those guys, Pat, the only one that is, I think, won a playoff series in recent memory is Darcy Kemper. He goes, he wins the Stanley yeah. cup this year, but even, not, but, not as a good goalie, just like plays behind a, a, an ex, a very amazing good, good team, Colorado team. And you know what? He was in the net. So, okay. Give him credit. He's a Stanley cup champion, yeah. but again, it's the, it's balancing out the term. He's the oldest of the goalies that I just mentioned other than Talbot and Halak, but like in terms of like a number one goalie option that the Leafs could have got, Darcy Kemper was one of them technically, but he's 32. He's and this year, this deal takes him between 32 and 37. Washington yeah. makes that move because their core is in that age group. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas if you look at Jack Campbell, Jack Campbell hasn't won a playoff series. He's played 14 NHL playoff games, 14. Yeah. And they're in the last two years as Leafs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And again, he, Jack, I, I love that guy. Yeah. He was so easy to root for. Edmonton will like having him on his team. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's a there is a bigger picture at play here with yeah. the Leafs. Kyle Dubas has not made a single move this year where I'm thinking this guy thinks that his job's on the line. You know what I mean? And Matt Murray's the Matt Murray trade is probably the closest to it. Well, and and when you really think about it. If he thought his job was on the line, why is he not just going to give that money to Jack and say, you know what, like, I, if the list, our listeners obviously can't see, but it was like, I wipe my hands of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I got you the or, safest option. Or, I got you what we know. Yeah. This is my job's on the line. I don't care. I'm getting. Or he could have made Anthony, one better for that argument. If he really thought he was being fired, why didn't he make a big splash, you know, immediately dump Kerfoot or Hall? He would have had the money to sign Kempfer. You know what I mean? And it's like he yeah, could have he, easily he, just ridden on recency or, bias or Pat, into next he, season. Or rewind to the trade deadline in March. Or he would have made that yeah. trade for Marc-Andre Fleur. Yeah, he would have given he would have sacrificed you know, the future. He would have he would have traded those two first round picks. He would and have Matthew traded Nice. Matthew Nyes. He would have rid himself of the Mrazic deal and he would have got Marc-Andre Fleury. But yeah. he didn't. So yeah. again, this is just another little tidbit that I was thinking about earlier, uh, or last night, sorry, is that even if you are a Dubis hater, which that's a whole other podcast about why people have this predisposition about him, and people hated him from before he even got the job. You know yeah. what I mean? They hated him the moment he stepped in. Yeah. And and judged him and didn't weren't willing 
everything he touched was a stupid move, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Even if you hate him, how do you not respect him that if this doesn't work, he hasn't completely fucked the franchise yeah. for after he's gone? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like any other guy that thought his job was on the line would be making desperate moves. To, and if it didn't work, okay, I'm fired and it's not my it, problem anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? How do you not respect him for that? As a fan, you're a fan of the team before you're a fan of the GM or anybody yeah. else. Like, you can't deny that if this doesn't work out. And he's fired. There's the flexibility the, still in the, the roster. The Leafs, the Leafs are not screwed. We're, we have anchor deals and shit like that. Like, it, again, that's a conversation for another podcast. But but, but no, but it, but it speaks to it, the, the, the ongoing narrative, right? Like, and, and then, they, and this is, this has been, I know you and I have had this conversation offline yesterday, is it, it's become tired and lazy. You know what I mean? It's, it's like they've copied and pasted everything they said from last year and they're just pasting it. And it's like, do the work. You know what I mean? Like, look into this stuff more in depth before just like everything. Oh, and the thing the- is with Dubas is, here's my, here's my question. And I asked one of our listeners through a, um, a Twitter chat um, is, why is it that Dubas needs to hit 100 of, out of 100 of his moves but no other market, their GM, has that same standard. Like, Joe, what is Lula Morello? Joe Sackick, Joe Sackick, eight years as Colorado's GM. Yeah. I, let me pull up here. I got the again. Joe Sackick. This is what this this is what really gets me mad about people with Dubis and calling his tenure an utter failure. I was like, yeah. okay, like yeah, like like yes, it. They haven't made it past the first round. In essence, the result is a failure, but. Yeah. To say that that means that he should lose his job, over or he's that, the only one that's like, done it, you know what he, I mean? Well, he deserves the the runway that other GMs that we talk about in and put on these pedestals now as such smart guys, like they were given the runway. Yeah, Lou Lamorella was given how many years as the GM of of the Devils when he first got there, and that was obviously without a salary cap. So forget it. If you don't want to compare it, here's the Colorado Avalanche and. Uh, Joe Sackick's first eight years missed the playoffs missed the playoffs missed the playoffs I believe in one of those seasons they were like or at least a couple they were bottom 10 like yeah. didn't narrowly miss the playoffs they no, were they, like they, a, yeah. a, an awful team they had one of the worst seasons as a uh, in the cap era the Colorado Avalanche the year that they got Kale McCarr they had like 48 points and lost the lottery end up fit, getting the fourth pick and God bless them. them. God bless them. They got Kale McCarr after that first round exit year five, second round exit year six, second round exit year seven, second round exit year eight Stanley cup champion. Okay. And you know what, to the people that say that, Oh, it matters if you make the second round or the first round, like go touch grass, man. Like that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You, You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you're, you're eight wins away as opposed to 12 wins away. Like it, you need to get to 16. You don't get to 16. It's the same fucking thing. You know what I mean? The only thing that matters, I think is like context of making the conference final and maybe you're close. You know what I mean? Like the Rangers, I think going on a conference final there, like that matters for a team like that. Like they, they were up to nothing on the, on the cup champs. Like you can take some positive things out of that, but like bringing it back to Edmonton, Pat, like, okay. Edmonton goes and beats Calgary in five games. 
they go take an, a ragtag LA team who wasn't ready for a run at all. Yeah. And they almost get bounced by them. They need to win game six and seven to go there. Yeah. Right. And then it gets swept quite embarrassingly in the, in the conference final by Colorado. And look, Colorado's a hell of a team, probably one of the best teams of, but even, of the cap era. But like you got swept. You know what I mean? You're you're still you're far away. Just saying but, you made it to the conference final, yeah. you're eight wins away. You no, know but, what I mean? but but I think for me, my biggest thing is is when people say Dubas sucks, and then you bring up the first five to six years of Joe Sackick's tenure, like why does it matter? But you can't if you're gonna say one thing sucks, it's in comparison to what? At the same juncture. You know what I mean? Like, you can't compare Dubas in year five to Sakic in year eight. You know what I mean? The pro- well, like, exactly. A lot can happen. And, and even two, in those eight years, with the exception of the last two for Colorado, they got to enjoy a cap that was steadily growing. Oh, that rose. Yeah, like that's also, that's another point that you, uh, that, that you mentioned there is that, the, like, I'm sorry, like, Kyle Dubas, I guess you deserve a bunch of heat and deserve to lose your job for not forecasting the pandemic. You so here, I mean? I'm going to, I have a, I have, I have something that. Is it um, from Jeff? Is it yeah, Jeff, Jeff? Jeff. So I, I want to, I want our listeners to, to really truly understand the context of the shit luck Dubas has had. So after Stamkos' deal, the cap went from 64.3 mil to 73 mil, an increase of 13.5%. In the McKinnon deal, and I'll, I'll, I'll put this as an asterisk only because there's more to the McKinnon deal than meets the eye. So in the, in the case of the McKinnon deal, the cap had went up from 73 to 81.5. That's an 11.6% increase. Here's the thing with McKinnon. McKinnon never had a season prior to his RFA contract. Yeah. His, his ELC profile didn't profile to like the Matthews of the, like, he yes. did, I don't think he scored 40 goals on, no. the, on his and ELC. He, and he, I think he maxed, I think his, his biggest point season was maybe what a 68 in his first yeah, three like, years. Like if you, okay. So think about it this way, Pat, just to give our listeners a little bit more context. Nathan McKinnon is the very giant exception to the rule because he has become a top five player in the NHL for a long time post, now. Post his first contract. Post his ELC. Yeah. And his ELC profile, which means his first three years in the NHL, profiled to like maybe I think slightly less than William Nylander in terms of like surface production, like yeah. points, po- okay. points per game, all that stuff. Like imagine William Nylander on his current deal over that time. I know this is a polarizing name to, to people that hate him, but like, just imagine the trajectory or how good of a deal Nylanders would be if he just all of a sudden became the fifth best player in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that that's the type of uh, exception that yeah. would have that, so, that happened in McKinnon. But so now the flip on. side. So the flip side, let's look at Toronto. Since Toronto signed Tavares and Nylander, obviously this is prior to COVID. No one knew this was coming. The cap has gone from 79.5 to 81.5 million. That's only an increase of 2.5%. Since Toronto signed both Matthews and Marner, the the cap has increased by $0. Now you can say whatever you want about, you know, you can't predict, you should always plan for doomsday. But what does doomsday really look like when no one knew a pandemic was about to hit? Maybe the cap only goes up 8%, 9%. It does. It's we've never seen since the cap has come into to play, barring I, and Anthony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've ever seen a flat cap since the cap was first first started. There's always been like incremental, history, but, but, but right? Yeah, There's the always been incremental increases, right? Yeah. There's always been incremental increases. 
so and then if you're looking at you know then i'm then i'm hearing people say well you know the leafs are the only team with you know 10 million dollar players i'm like yes oh, but at the time at, go look at go look at pittsburgh penguins when they won their cups evgeny malkin signed evgeny malkin and Sidney crosby took up more of the cap at the like you know what i mean that's another thing that absolutely drives me up the wall is that no team has ever won with a 10 million dollar uh player on on the roster but we've never seen a cap well okay to allow that if it's not even that pat it's just like like stop just seeing a headline on the media and being like oh yeah like like obviously this is uh this is a a factual comparison like it the percentage of the cap matters Matters. yeah you know what i mean when crosby and malkin were making 8.7 and 9.5 million dollars the cap was like i think less than 60 million so how so yeah they won cups and they were less than 10 million dollars but that when you uh expedite that to an 82.5 or an 81.5 million dollar cap they are over 10 million dollar players yeah you know what, do you, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that again, again, it's yeah. It's well, let, those... Let's get, let's get back on track on terms of that. But like the putting all those narratives aside, if you want to consider Dubis's tenure a failure, by all means, you're, you have a right to an opinion, but all I ask is that if you're going to criticize him and if you're going to chirp the Leafs and lambaste the Leafs, like, Give it, give us something that is like an act, an act, a factual uh, or tangible argument. Not that, oh, how do, they're not going to win with $11 million players. Yeah, okay, it's never been done before. Uh, well, actually, it, it hasn't been done with before at that price tag. But when you look at the percentage of the cap, it has been done before. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't, don't go and say, oh, how do they think Matt Murray is a better option than Jack Campbell? Matt Murray has won two Stanley Cups. Jack yep. Campbell hasn't won a playoff series. Yep. You know what I mean? Inju- Jack Campbell has injury risk, even if it's slightly less injury risk than, than Matt Murray. But what does that even mean? Term, the lack of ter- – okay, I'm saying yeah, like no, – Yeah, I'll let you – yeah, and then I'll, you know I'll, I'll, ex- I'll extrapolate injury on that Injury risk point. is random. Injury risk yeah. is random, I get it. But like Jack's been injured over the last two seasons, maybe slightly less than Matt Murray, but the lack of term on the contract is a – if you're doing the balance – beam pad if you know what i yeah. mean or like if you're balancing the the pros and cons of each guy okay jacket has been hurt less than matt murray recently all right well then i'm gonna say uh matt murray carries less term and he and has is, a higher ceiling and he he's younger you know yeah what I and mean? yet a younger and has a higher and ceiling he's younger jack is signed for five years at five matt signed for four point uh five or four point six or whatever for two years you know what i mean so okay that's just one comparison if you're back to what my point about Dubis and calling this te- his tenure as a GM a failure, like go at him for something that he hasn't been able to do yet. Like make a tough decision and, and not, and ask Jake Muzzin to possibly be traded to go to make room for Rasmus Sandin. Like that's a legitimate gripe I have with Kyle Dubas. And, and really to- it could just be a timing thing, right? Like, well, yeah, we don't say, know that. We don't yeah, know. We, that we don't know what conversations like, have been had. You know what I mean? If he doesn't trade Kerfoot, I think that that's a a a, a dock on or a yeah. knock on Kyle Dubas. You yeah. should be look. Sorry, uh, Amanda, our teammate, but <laughs> Kerfoot is at peak value right now. You're not extending him. Yeah. Right. He just came off a 50 point season where he had got no playoff time. Yeah. You can make better use of that 3.5. You need yeah. to be. You need to be looking at that. Justin Hall. He's clearly a a a blockade to getting Rasmus Sandin more playing time. 
he needs to be moved. If Dubas doesn't make those types of moves come October 1st or whenever the play is, you'll find me at the front of the line saying, yeah. why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he do that? But you're not going to find me picking at the low hanging fruit. Like you said, Pat, yeah. and, and saying like, Oh, why? Like we don't have Jack Campbell. We're, are, we're fucked. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, like those are, those are not, that, that's not the hill reasons. you want to die on. Yeah, you know what I mean? not those the aren't... hill that you want to die on. Go yeah. come at us with something that is more but original even, than the shit you hear on TSN. But even still, though, Anthony, we're technically speaking, free agency usually marks the starting of the offseason. You know, I know that technically it's the draft, but really it's the draft. And you're right. It's, four, it's been 14 days. The offseason's not over. Like, can someone yeah. remind me where we are on this calendar? Like, who's to say that these conversations with Jake Muzzin and with Alex Alexander Kerfoot aren't happening? Just because a trade hasn't been consummated doesn't mean that they're not being negotiated on. Because yeah. the team that you're making a trade with needs to do their due diligence, needs to kind of work out their cap issues, whoever it is that you're trading, you're making this trade with. You know, if it's Jake Muzzin and there's that extra layer of the no trade clause, you know, which markets do you think he'd be willing to go to? Then he has to go back. Like the agent needs to go to the player. Like there are steps like trades yeah. just don't happen. You know what they I mean? Like there's they a don't, process. But like he needs to, if he loses out on a player because he's waiting to trade someone off the current roster to make money, like he deserves criticism for that. I think oh. that I, I'm, I don't want to get on too much of yeah. a tangent of just like criticizing Dubas, but like, I okay. I if I was Kyle, if I'm the media guy, and I'm asking Kyle, like, why didn't you at, squeeze Ottawa for more picks or something if they were only willing to retain 25? percent That's a valid question. Not that he chose to go with Matt Murray or, over signing yeah. Kyle Dubis. That's or, not or the Campbell the, or signing or, Campbell. Sorry, Campbell. Yeah. The question is, why didn't you squeeze him for more? Yeah. For and, an extra and pick. someone did actually ask him, and he said it got to a point where we either had to make the deal and move on. And by Kyle saying we had to make the deal and move on. That tells me that they think that Matt Murray and Elias Samsonov have a better chance over these next two years to provide better goaltending than, than it Campbell. would have been Jack Campbell and like but a then, minimum guy. You know what I mean? And then, or people saying that, oh, look how Ottawa fleeced Dubas and then went to go make the trade for Cam Talbot uh, uh, after they got rid of Murray. Like, okay, Cam Talbot's 35. He cost you a young goaltender that's yeah. better. So, Imagine jo like Philip Gustafson's better than Joseph Wall and has more trade value. So yeah. like, did the Leafs have that piece to maybe Minnesota wasn't interested in Joseph Wall, yeah. and maybe they think that Joseph Wall can provide good quality. But here's depth. like his contract is seven hundred fifty thousand, Joe Wall, and he projects as at least a backup over the next couple years. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Having a guy that's quality for, for seven fifty is valuable. But then, but then, but didn't Talbot lose his job to Flurry last year? So how is that any less of an argument? Yeah, you know I what I mean? Exactly. Like, it, again, he fought, I think he is, out of all those guys that I mentioned earlier, where of, like, the last person to win a, a, a playoff series other than Darcy Kemper in that list of goalies I mentioned about yeah. 10 minutes ago was Cam Talbot. His last playoff series he won was in the bubble Yeah. Um, when he was playing for Calgary. So in yeah. the bubble in August. So, yeah. again. It so, is what it is. You know what I mean? And then, you I, know, that kind of is a nice segue now, Anthony, into some of the other signings, which really at the end of the day, they're depth signings. But I, I, I want to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, if, if outside of Samsonov, because I think we've kind of beat the goalie topic over the head. But what are your thoughts on, you know, some of the forward um, signings that the Leafs made? Is there one that maybe stood out to you more? 
I think that the one that stands out obviously the most is, is Nick is a uh, Abe Kubel. I think that for $1 million, he can provide some bottom six speed that we were losing with, excuse me, Mikheyev. I think if I'm, I'm looking for the photo now is he has, uh, where are we here? He had a point where it was by active Oak, one of my favorite Twitter accounts. He, he, found, he has like a breakdown of like, uh, Nick Abe Kubel compared to Ilya Mikheyev. And let me see where we are here. Sorry, this is awful radio. I should have had this up earlier. But basically, he breaks it down in that Nick, I think the main stat that stuck out for me, especially people say that the Leafs need some more aggressiveness and tenacity in their bottom six, and they need an identity. How about Nick Abe Kubel, who has the speed of, that, that of like that's comparable to Mikheyev, but also, also he hits like has like ten more hits per sixty minutes than Mikheyev does. If I yeah. remember exact, if if I remember correctly, um, I think he had more primary points per sixty. This is all at five on five, and this isn't based off a small sample size. Nick Kubel had more uh, five on five minutes this past season than uh, Ilya Mikheyev. All right, so here I got it. Nick Abe Kubel, 716 minutes played five on five last year. Mikheyev, 645. The only stats that Mikheyev was better at than Abe Kubel, out, and this combines goals, assists, points, hits, and blocks, was Mikheyev had 0. 0.10 more goals per 60 than, uh, than uh, Nick Abe Kubel. He had 1.02 versus Nick's 0.92, right? In assist, Nick was better by 0.25. In points, Nick was better by uh, 0.17. He was, he has six, sorry, the correct stat was he had six uh, and a half more hits per 60 than Mikheyev. And he, the, their blocks are comparable, but Nick had slightly better. So what we're getting here is a guy who's right-handed, who I actually, I like when the guys on the right wing actually have the proper hand. I think this guy profiles a little bit uh, like Kasha in a way where maybe he's a little bit less intelligent in his playmaking, but he, I think he had as many goals as Kasha last year. He played more games, obviously, but he's got the speed. He's younger, less of an injury risk than Kasha as well. Right? Like he kind of fits that hybrid. I think, Dubas mentioned that Keith uh, identified Nick specifically as a guy to go after to help uh, offset the loss of losing a guy like Ilya. But something that stands out to me is the hits. You know what I mean? I want guys in the playoffs, in the bottom six. I, I, I know you can't value all those things, but like, uh, or overvalue those things. But if he's hitting like that, that matters to me. Um, I think that if they can go after another guy like Zach Austin Reese, who is like one of the best defensive centers or defensive wingers in the game by all analytical metrics, this guy is a, is a really strong defensive player that I think if he, if the Leafs can get him for some, uh, some value on their, on his contract, I think you have your new defensive line and Zach Austin Reese, David Camp, and Nick Abe Kubel. Right. So this is the point that Pat was mentioning earlier about waiting to see what falls out. Like Zach's Zach Austin Reese at the time of this recording is still available for signing. You yeah. know what I mean? So these are the types of things that we have to evaluate. I do want to uh, mention one thing, but I'll uh, 
uh, about the other forward, but I'll let you, Pat, give your opinion on Nick quickly if you if you have a chance. I actually like some of the highlights. I saw that he's a little bit more physical than Mikheyev as well. Like I saw he had yeah. a couple fights in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know for the guys that like the grinders and the blue and the and the blue collar guys, like he's a great pickup. You know what I mean? He's got a Stanley Cup pedigree. There's something about, especially when you're more of a, a more recent winner, that you have that taste. You know what I mean? And, and ha- like the Leafs in less than, what, 72 hours brought three Stanley Cup rings into their locker room with Murray's two and, yeah. and Nick's one. You and, know what and, I mean? And not to beat it with a, with a, not to beat a dead horse here, but like if any other GM does that, they're going to be like, yep, like this guy, he's trying to get more, more rings in the room. You yeah. Know more, I mean? more leadership. It's, no, it's the leadership. No, I mean. it, it's the, I, I always like when people use these um, unquantifiable labels, like heart, what's heart. Like these professional athletes don't be, reach the pinnacle of, of their sport. And even the worst NHLers by worlds better than the average guy that's playing in a beer league. And we're talking about heart. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's always going to be some intangibles, what we've seen with the Leafs since 1967 is they've always lacked the tangibles. Like we've and, never had a guy like Austin Matthews since, you know, since what, maybe 60. And, and Pat, another thing to add on to that there, and this is, I'm, I'm referencing uh, my, my dad here, shout out because every year, like clockwork, Pat, every year time when the conference final comes around or the Stanley cup final, me and my dad will just happen to be watching a game. Right. And obviously the Leafs are out at this point. And my dad says, look at the way these guys are playing. The Leafs, the Leafs will never win a Stanley cup because they never play like this. And every time I always say, well, look, I watched these guys play before they got to the cup final or the conference final. And I always have to remind my dad and say, dad, when you're four wins or six wins or eight wins away from your lifelong dream, you play different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a different intensity on the, of the first round of the playoffs as there is to the second round, excuse me, as there is to the third round, as there is to the cup final, because you're closer. So, yes, they have to work harder. The Leafs have to find something to get over that hump. But to completely discount their ability to find that next level when they're an, uh, an, another four wins away or less than another four wins away, is is just it's not fair to criticize them for that because you've never seen them there yet yeah you know what i mean you won't know about it until they get there if they get to a conference final and they they're not blocking shots or they're not hitting or they're not being intense or they're not getting into the scrums then you criticize them you know what i mean so that's just another tidbit that i had that's not what we saw in the tampa series it was literally a coin toss they lost 2-1 in game seven Well, no i know i'm just pointing out the fact that like another narrative that might that always seems to exist. Every cup final is like, look at these guys. You know what I mean? Well, you know, see hearts heart is labeled to the team that wins the cup every year. So the other 31 teams don't have heart. Right. Yeah. So we, we just, we, we immediately quantify heart by who wins the cup. So results, every year it's, based, results, results based uh, evaluation. But, as but, but, to isn't, but, based. But, 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 well, yeah, but really at the end of the day, right? Like, it removes the objectivity from the whole process when we're just immediately labeling teams. Like it's such an easy answer 
to a question who had more like the Stanley Cup winner has heart. What the hell does that mean? So what they caught lightning in a bottle. They didn't go through the same type of injuries like Tampa Bay was completely beat up and they still well, push Colorado. Well, they could like like I believe you want someone who has passion. You want someone who has drive. I, I, I get that. It's just like in terms of a being a value based organization, like it's just impossible to to quantify it a lot of hockey is luck you know what i mean like it, it is random darren helm scores a goal to to push colorado over the hump of the second round you know what i mean like yeah and it was with six seconds left so in in that game six against st louis so w- what we're saying is if you have if you feel like you have a player with heart or something like that, like by all means, like push that narrative, but don't seem, don't come out and say like someone who hasn't won doesn't have it. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, that's yeah. just all I, I think we're trying to say here. Yeah. And Pat, just, to, I just want to touch on one more thing. Um, Cause we're talking about narratives here. I, th- I thought it was funny. I wanted to reference one more thing with this, uh, the TSN show yesterday, Dave Poulin, obviously everyone remembers Dave Poulin, uh, TSN personality. He, I think he is a color guy for most Habs games or Ottawa games on TSN. He's a former front office member uh, in the, of the Dave Nonis years of the Leafs. Right. So, and Brian Burke, I believe he was there with Burke as well. So yeah. Dave Poulin, when they were doing saying their winners and losers yesterday of, uh, of uh, the, the, the Canadian or the NHL teams that might've won the first free agency day, their little closing off segment. Uh, Dave goes, the loser is Calgary with an honorable mention of Toronto. And then uh, the winner was Colorado because they were proactive and got their goalie. Their goalie is, is uh, Alexander Georgiev, who has been, frankly, a career backup with some like raw potential by all goalie standards. Like they think that he could be a starter eventually. And he came cheap and good for Colorado for getting their goalies relatively cheap in order to keep Nakushkin and possibly keep Kadri and all this good stuff. But then after Dave mentions Colorado, he goes back to Toronto and maybe I might be jumbling up the se- uh, segments, but Dave Poulin goes and criticizes Toronto's in a lack of cap space as a reason why they have the goalies that they do. And this lack of cap space is due to their inability to draft forwards and, and find forwards that have been developed and, and can come into the lineup at a cheap rate um, and provide value that way so that the Leafs can have more cap space to spend on goaltending or defense or whatever, right? The ideal scenario for a team, which the Leafs are trying to do, and we've talked about at length, but Dave Poulin, I believe, and I'm 99% sure, I'm not even going to fact check this because Dave Poulin refuses to fact check his stuff, but Dave Poulin was part of the regime that drafted Tyler Biggs, I believe they traded up and they drafted Tyler Biggs. Those two picks that they traded with Anaheim Percy. were uh, John Gibson and Ricard Raquel. Those were the picks that the Leafs gave up that Anaheim ended up taking and the Leafs drafted Tyler Biggs. If you don't know who Tyler Biggs is, look him up. He, I don't think he's played a game in the NHL. If not, it's less than 10. Complete bust of a first-round pick. He, I believe they were also part of the uh, – he was also part of the front office that drafted Freddie Goche at 22nd or 23rd overall or whatever it is. Like how do he, you he have... also drafted Stuart Percy, who yeah. was a flash so, in the pan, had well, some he's a, he's, some he's a decent... defenseman. I was just referencing the forwards, but my, yeah. my overall point is this. 
again, Kyle Dubas started taking over the draft in 2018. How do you have the audacity to go on live television and imply that it's Kyle Dubas's fault that the Leafs don't have drafted and developed and internally uh, grown prospects in their lineup at this time when the very age timeline of these guys should fall under the, the realm of Lou Lamorello and Mark Hunter. Those are the guys are, and the reason why the Leafs don't have what you're saying. Kyle Dubas's guys are at max 22 years old right now, based off the draft when he started taking over the draft. And yes, 2018 drafted eligible players have come in and made an impact yet. Well, the Leafs have Rasmus Sandin from that draft. You know what I mean? They drafted Pontus Homburg from that draft, who's uh, a reigning CHL, uh, at, sorry, Swedish League MVP, uh, playoff MVP. At He won that at 21. You know what I mean? He just came over, and the Leafs – he was a seventh-round pick, I believe. And we and you'll actually talk learn about him a little bit more uh, when you listen to our interview with Sam because Sam uh, mentions him in our top five Leaf prospects thing that will be coming out later. I believe Pat, right? Yeah. Yeah. The second yeah, part of the, of, we'll that, next that'll week. be, that's part of the second part. But like, again, Dubas has done well drafting. You just haven't seen the, the, the fruits of his labor yet. You know what I mean? He's fine. He's the guy that drafted Matthew Nyes. He's the guy that uh, drafted uh, Nick Robertson. You know what I mean? He's the guy that found Ty Voigt, who was like a fifth round pick, who is now invited to the USA national junior team uh, camp. You know what I mean? He's the guy that drafted Ryan uh, Teverberg out of uh, in UConn, a seventh round pick again, who got invited to the national Canada's national junior uh, development camp last year. You know what I mean? He's drafting these guys. Yes. They they're not in the NHL yet, but no one should expect guys uh, where they're drafted at 21. Very rarely do people from 21 make full-time jumps to the NHL. They come at 23, 24, 25. So uh, it's just another example of people that move the goalposts for Dubas. You know what I mean? Why hasn't Dubas, why isn't Dubas's seventh round pick from 2018 made the NHL yet at 21? Well, let's go look at all the 20, 20, uh, 20 year old seventh round picks that have made the NHL. Let's see where they like, or from that draft and let's see where they are. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it, it becomes lazy when you don't have to do the comparison. You know what I mean? You can easily throw, um, and this is right prior to us wrapping up this this uh, first segment of our podcast is it's so easy just to throw criticism but when you really start and i said this off the top of this podcast you can only rate dubas in comparison to his peers and to those gms here in toronto that came prior to him if you're going to say he's a bad gm bad gm in comparison to what you know what i mean like I did that. That's kind of where I'll end up with, you know, end up with, with this segment is, is he's done a lot of good. Has he been perfect? No, no GM is perfect. No GM is going to hit a home run every at bat. You know what I mean? There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be times where you're going to need to correct those mistakes. And here's one thing that that's kind of funny. And then we're going to, you know, we'll wrap this up, Um, but keep people keep saying, Oh, oh, you know what? Lou Lamarell or, Kyle Dubas has his, you know, affinity for the players that he had in the Sioux. Well, Lula Morello just recently brought over a bunch of players like Zach Perezzi and, and, and others that he's had a history with. Kyle, Kyle Palmieri. And they, they completely bombed on the island. And, Why signed, isn't... and signed them to big tickets. 
and, and not, not to run, I'll, yeah. I'll find them while you're going on your rant here, but I'll give right? you the prices. Go ahead. But like every GM has an affinity to certain players. Every GM is going to bank on the players that they know. It, it's just common knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't see how Kyle is doing anything any different. You know what I mean? Maybe some of his decisions haven't hit right away. And some of it, it's probably like projections for, you know, this year and next, like, especially when it comes to the prospects. But he's not done any worse of a job than some of his peers, especially when you're setting a franchise record of 115 points. In fact, and just to add to that, he, a, a, a good portion of his first two years at the, at the helm of the, uh, of the job was cleaning up Lou's mess. You know what I mean? Like imagine Kyle Dubas is able to make that pick at 11 overall, the one that turns into Seth Jarvis. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he couldn't, he had to, he has to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. You know what I mean? He yeah. has to give away Connor Brown to get rid of uh, uh, Nikita Zaitsev and Ottawa's trying to move that contract again. You yeah. know what I mean? So he didn't come in with a clean slate, you know what I mean? And, and I guess maybe part of that is on Shanahan. If he always thought that Kyle was going to take over this team, why didn't, why would he let Lou go and make these decisions or why would he not have Kyle have more input? Or I guess like, if you're going to, again, that is a more valid criticism to me than to say, Oh, look, Dubis has been trading first round pick over first round pick and he's got nothing to show for it. You know what I mean? That's more come at us with something more original is what I'm is my ultimate uh, theme of the podcast here. No, most definitely. So this has been fun. Um, you know, be sure to, you know, continue to listen. Um, we have our second, like I said, the first part of our uh, interview with Sam Turpak and, and his grading of the, of the draft and, uh, you know, continue to check us out on centerization.com for all our upcoming blogs and also check, check out our, our, our sponsors, Focal USA. Uh, and thank you to Sam and thank you to Sam as well. Yes. And most definitely thank you to Sam uh, for his time, um, you know, with, with our interview. Thanks again, everyone. Going, uh, offering his his thoughts, opinions, and uh, insight into uh, not just the Leafs, but all things NHL. But there seems to be a, a good Leafs focus there, based out of Slovakia, and uh, we're just really excited to have him on the podcast. Uh, Sam, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So, uh, and you are you are the closest so far with the name. Oh, really? Okay, so that's yeah. very good. That's good. I'm gonna put that on my mantle. Uh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I'm very happy with that. Thank you much. So, um, Sam, let's uh, let's get into it. Um, I just want to uh, have uh, any any of our listeners that maybe haven't heard of you. Let's uh, let's open the floor to yourself. Give us uh, an introduction about how you got into scouting, uh, your love for hockey, your love for the Leafs, maybe go into that a little bit and so we can get a, a better chance to know you. Of course. Thanks. So, uh, hey, Sam, I think majority of the listeners probably know me from uh, sure. probably my Twitter hot takes <laughs> more than anything <laughs> and also draft stuff. Um, I fell in love with scouting some four or five years ago when I was, we were just starting a site with my buddy in Slovakia. Uh, it was a media site and just trying to 
get something that's gonna like a like a hole in the market that's not there and i realized well nobody's doing scouting there is fair share of scouts in the nhl that uh, focus on this uh, focus on this area of the world but no one publicly no one is speaking about these things and i just realized like okay i might do it uh, i'm gonna put the hours in and i'm gonna like work out myself to be as be- as good of a scout as I can. And it went from there and just slowly fell in love with it. And now here I am, just just a kid from Slovakia trying to trying to be the best scout he can. And awesome. yeah, so there uh, I always uh, had love the love for yeah. hockey and it's it's from the young age. I remember when, well, I actually don't remember. I, I mm-hmm. saw recording that when I was three years old, sitting in front of the TV watching my team on my on my third birthday win uh, uh, win world championship in Göteborg, two thousand and two. So yep. that, that was one of the one of the cool things. Uh, my fathers showed me that recording a lot of times. I don't even remember how many, but. Yeah, that's I, I always felt it. I was never able to play hockey for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I, I, I guess I found another way to get into it and yeah, I'm loving it. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Thank you for uh for giving us a little insight into your background. We always appreciate uh um different paths uh, especially here we uh like obviously no one no one as part of our our little site and uh has went on to go play hockey at any big high level as well so we can definitely appreciate like the true fandom of it where it's like you just you just grew up loving the game you know what i mean not necessarily uh uh everyone has to play it to love it right and that and that's what i think makes uh is make and making and uh will continue to make the discussion around hockey better right different points of view not getting the same traditional opinions like we always like to talk about yeah um so traditional hockey people you know exactly it gets stale to say the least yeah so all right sam so let's get right into the thick of it here um we obviously brought you on for a very particular reason uh your tremendous insight on prospects is um very hard to, to, to match, especially uh, within our, our little world uh, on Leafs Twitter here. So, uh, and on the podcast recently, we've been putting a lot of tremendous importance on uh, drafting for the Leafs, especially as their uh, core of young star players, uh, and even especially John Tavares as well, get a little bit older. The importance of finding these uh cost certain uh, controllable assets to contribute into the lineup uh, like, and not just be fourth line guys that maybe play 10 minutes a night. We need to start finding contributors in the lineup um, that are uh, playing up, up the lineup with our stars to support them. Right. Same, similar to how Tampa has found their guys. I know Colorado experienced that, but a lot of those came Pro scouting, not necessarily and 
but they they still uh, have found uh, like I'm I'm referring to Burakovsky and Nakushkin in that case, but um, though like they just it it it's imperative for a team to go win a Stanley Cup that they need they need to be able to draft well and not just find gems in the top ten picks of the draft. So in that sense. Um, I want to get your opinion on each of the Leafs players that uh, that they draft Leafs draft picks that they made uh, this past weekend at the 2022 draft in Montreal, and uh, and get your thoughts on them. So, let's start off with uh, from the beginning, right? And uh, they're obviously right before the draft. The Leafs are sitting at 25. Um, obviously, they had. Um, there was some intel that they were going to weaponize that pick to rid themselves of the Morazic deal and move down, right? Um, we've heard from other people. I know Josh Cook said that they were waiting to see if one of their their studs might fall. And uh, I know I know you talked about this guy a lot, Liam Olgren, right? That uh, that seemed like a perfect player for the Leafs. Uh, that the, also seemed to be. Sweden. It also seemed to be the guy they were aiming for. For sure, right? Just the based chat. on just watching it and the chatter and all that, all the good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Josh Cloak, I believe, literally quoted on Twitter saying that the chatter around the, the draft table picked up as soon as he went off the board. I believe, yeah, ninth, about six yeah, minutes to Minnesota. Before that, yeah. Where the Leafs were supposed to draft. Um, so they decide to make that move. Yeah. So they decide to make that move, drop down to 38 and, uh, and rid themselves of the Morazic deal. Considering what Edmonton paid, I thought that was a, a great steal uh, to get themselves off a $3.8 million cap for two, the next two years. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, typical uh, Anthony Sino uh, on this podcast. Uh, I'm always the guy that have to have the technical difficulties. So it only makes sense to keep up with that streak. I'm nothing but consistent. So uh, um, again, Sam, apologize, uh, apologies to you, but uh, we will uh, we will continue. I believe where we last left off was I was just uh, about to pass it off to you about the trade down uh, for, with the Leafs from 25 to 38. So let's let's start off there. At once, Ogren goes off the board. At 19, are you is what's you, what's your mindset? Are you immediately jumping to okay? They're probably going to trade down, given the chatter that was going on during the day. Um, I I thought they would trade down. I I thought it would be just bigs. I heard something different with Mrazek at the time. Um, different kind of deal. I'm pretty sure it was still Chicago, but still Chicago, but yeah. I, okay. I it, when when if I'm putting myself in the mindset of the Leafs, if I see my guy like Liam Ekren, who they are aiming for and they want at 25, and they want to draft him and he's gone, I'm looking at my options. Who who do we have like the next five guys on the list? Who is the who is the guy that can fall the most likely? Probably would be one of the questions and. Also, what can we get in a potential trade-down deal? What benefits our organization from big standpoint and from also standpoint of can we actually improve our roster with a trade-down option since it presented itself? And 
they went that route. And honestly, it was such a good deal. And oh, people yeah. people seem to be hang out on the first round pick versus second round pick thing to the point where they don't even mention the second round pick coming back. Um which is just funny. Yeah, we uh, yeah, we we know that we know that all too well about uh, your Certified classic troll jobs. Yeah. Yep, yep. Those guys. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, I'm, I'm getting very strong pick. Yeah, I'm getting very contract. sick of it. To be honest with you, very, very. Oh, yeah. I'm very, very sick oh, of yeah. it to the point where I'm starting to mute some, some very big names in in hockey media because of that. Because I just don't want to give them the time of day. I just. It's it's yeah. I, I'm a big believer not to get on a too much of a rant here, Sam, but I'm a big believer that I don't believe that people are that stupid. You know what I mean? Where I think that now it's to the point where I think that they know that what they're saying is insane. They just they have to pander to certain types of people that will just get them clicks and say, like, yeah, clicks, like, yeah. So, it, it's all so about smart. the clicks. Working in the media, it's almost all the time about clicks. Especially. I hate that side of it, honestly. Exactly, and uh, even uh, our our lead our lead here even found out like some of the Edmonton media jumping in on on the Leafs draft picks and who they traded. And I thought it was a very Pat mentioned this earlier, but like it was pretty unprofessional to mention Brody on Amirov in in this case. Like you know what I mean? Obviously, he's dealing with something yeah. a lot bigger than hockey. So it's just. A lot of people are showing their ass to to quote you actually from Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyways, let's get back on topic here. Um, so they uh, they go in, they make the trade. It was a hell of a deal, like you said. Um, Moving down thirteen spots to move three point eight million dollars in cap and like eight point four million dollars in total for the next two years. My, <laughs> yeah. they they rinsed them right. They 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 took advantage yeah. of Chicago and Chicago was. It just seemed like Chicago was very desperate to get as many first round picks and say like, put their stake in the ground and say this is the change. You know what I mean? We are we're starting yeah. anew and 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 Dubas took advantage of them there. So we're very happy with that. Um, in terms of now, they make that trade. Obviously, there's 13 guys that are going to go from 25 to 38. What did you do? You think that the Leafs missed out on their their guy? Because I know when Dubas spoke at the end of the first round, he said we're very happy with the five picks that finished off the the first round in terms of who would it have been? Uh, Messar, Rinzel, Bystet, Coolidge, Lamaru, Lambert. Yep. Obviously, is someone who was a little bit intriguing. Isaac Howard. Reed Schaefer, I this tells me this tells yeah. me that these guys that went last five or six, they had him, mm -hmm. they had them lower on the list than probably even Fraser Minton, who went thirty eight to the Leafs. Absolutely, for sure. Now, so, yeah, the, the question would be: Is that did anyone go from thirty three to thirty seven? Uh, that would have that you would have liked or that, that maybe that they might've missed out on just, I'm, I'm nitpicking here with Dubas here, but Owen Beck, Jaeger <coughs> Ferkus obviously was a popular uh, name amongst the least Twitter, Ryan Chesley, a little bit, uh, he's a more of a two-way guy that played at the national uh, development program in the, I love Chesley. 
You like Chesley? Yeah, a lot. I, I think Washington drafted as an absolute stud defensively. Do you have a comp for him at all, or do you see, what what do you see about a, a guy like him that uh, before we get into in, Minton? Like in New York Rangers, Ryan Lindgren, but right-handed. Yeah, nice. A guy like that. So very. Gonna steady. play minutes. Give give you solid two-way option in the in the middle of your defense group. Perfect. He's gonna play all situation most likely. PK gonna be a main guy there. Awesome. So, yeah. Such a good pick there. So for me, two guys that went between 33 and 37 is him, Chesley, and the other is Owen Beck, who I really like and who would have fit the mold of a defensive, smart, uh, check first player that the Leafs seem to be going into these, uh, in the last year. They really like that and on it. So Owen Beck would be someone I, I target. And Ryan Chesley. They both obviously went prior. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they had so it, it does it mm-hmm. go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so they probably had pressure Minton really high on their list so now what what are you saying are you thinking like they they were they they must have, they definitely had a first round grade for him then if especially if they had um i think had money actually yeah wow Might okay. be. so that's interesting so then okay yeah. so that's perfect so let's let's get into frazier um cam loops cam loops uh player i don't recall the leafs ever dipping into the Kamloops program, at least recently. I, I don't know if I'm, I might be mix, uh, messing it up. I know some of the popular Western guys they would have drafted over the last eight years, obviously Adam Brooks, he was like a double overager, I believe when they drafted him. I don't, I don't many, I don't recall many other yeah, Western but guys, but uh, he definitely played well. as well. Oh, crawl. Yeah. You're, you're right. He played in Spokane, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Spoken. So, okay. So, they get into they they draft Frazier here. Obviously, they're really happy about it. Give us your give us your thoughts on him. What can we expect uh, expect from him? Uh, maybe his uh, his his pathway to the NHL. What's his path timeline wise? Maybe give us a comp. What are his, his strengths, weaknesses? So he's highly intelligent player. That's the first thing. That's the first thing about him, and the most important thing about him. He's very intelligent, both off the ice and on the ice. He's He uses his intelligence to, to his advantage uh, on the ice when he's uh, either in defensive situations, both static like PK or not static, which is five-on-five five play. And he's using his intelligence to hunt down packs to cut off passing and shooting lanes and just working on just being the best possible two-way player for his team. And I think that's going to be huge for his development with the Leafs because as a center, your route to high-end skill position, 
is probably not realistic. So we've got to pre so we've got to have some assets that might make you different than let's say Misha Abramov or Simeon Deraguchintsev, who are high skill players but like the defensive style thing. So I think projection for is two, three, four years away, I think. Which mm-hmm. which is which is fine for the Leafs because they don't need anyone right now. Yeah, and they are fine with giving opportunities to players who are on the UFA market each year. So I don't think that's a problem. But he's gonna be a safe middle six center who is gonna. Who's, I I think the, for me big thing for prospects is how well, what is their path to the NHL what what spot they can manage to get and for me with Minton it's he can replace David Kemp in three four years so David Kemp would be by that time would be 31 32 slowly and okay he's a 22 year old ultra intelligent two way center to replace him. Yep. On so, an entry level deal. On an entry level deal for for three years. You're exactly. getting a shutdown center for three years potentially. So that that's a huge thing and why I think So are we thinking that, Yeah. So I, was thinking, I, I was just thinking there is that I was just thinking, is are we thinking like the same type of development path, the 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 patience that Tampa took with a Sorelli, where they they really just they were they really just were I don't think he came into the NHL until he was 21 or something. Like he he wasn't a, a guy who immediately made it. He went back to Oshawa, played at the World Juniors. You know what I mean? He he was impactful there. He scored some big goals, obviously, but and I'm not saying that this guy's gonna Frazier is gonna contend for a selkie but be by the time he's 25 or anything like that he might that would be awesome but are we thinking that type of path where that patience is going to be really imperative for him to get truly acclimated to to the pro game yeah i think that's a that's even a good comparison in terms of like intelligence and two-way game overall that's awesome so that yeah that's very that's a that's definitely uh, positive to, to know because when you're drafting at 38, right, we're, we're ho- the Leafs are looking for, for guys like us really. We, like we, we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, Sam, is that finding guys that are not so obvious picks is just imperative. And, and based off your, your assessment there, it seems like the Leafs got a really good one in Frazier. And we're, and, I'm, I'm sure very projectable player, very projectable. Yeah. And what and Sam, just to give some context to our listeners there that might not discuss prospects a lot, could you give us it? And you mentioned this on your Twitter account. I wanted to ask you about it later, but I'll I'll mention it now since you you uh, said the word. Can you give us a a little bit more detail on what you mean by projectable? When you say a player is projectable, what is the what's the what's the context behind that? Well, for me, it, it has different meaning for everyone, I guess. For sure. But for, for me as an evaluator, it tells me a lot. Like, where can I project this player in 
by the time he is 21, 22, 23 years old. But he's not like, uh, like, where can he play in the lineup within that within that time frame? And is that projection realistic? Because there is a lot of, oh, I hope this guy plays second line minutes or whatever, and there is no spot. The rost the Leafs roster in general changes a lot. Yeah, and in we it will continue in that direction every year, I guess, because of uh, until like cup stabilizes and goes up significantly every year, which will happen eventually. Yeah, but this time, like until twenty twenty five, I don't expect a change. See a change? I think there is going to be a lot of one year plays with it, play with us and then moves on to a different team type of mm-hmm. players. So can that prospect has that prospect got an ability that a guy who makes one point five million dollars in the UFA market don't have Frazier Minton has that intelligence. Like a guy that just projectively is huge with smaller prospects, not necessarily the high end guys, because mm-hmm. they'll find a way to get spot to like match you nice or someone. And the team will make room for guys for the for those guys with the the bigger name, right? You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, when they but have those... a guy that they invest in. Yeah, but those no-name guys, no-name mm-hmm. for majority of the fan base, they need they need an asset that will push them through and will push them to that spot, especially with the Leafs. And I think they're going into the direction to draft these guys that fill in the roles. Might be lower in the lineup, but they could step up if necessary higher. And that, yeah. that's what projection is about for me. So it's about projecting where the guy is going to play in three, four years with that organization. And every organization is different. Yep. Some organizations give spot to prospects in general. And like Arizona, you go there, you are a prospect that scores, they're going to give you a second line spot. Yeah. You're going to work out or you're going to not work out, right? And, and to our listeners, when, when Sam is referencing like, hey, these guys might project to be lower in the lineup, guys, I don't think that I personally think don't Ross take Colton this as, yeah, like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't take that as a bad thing even, Sam, because if, you, like, at thir- people are saying, people are saying, oh, if you're just looking for bottom six, if you're looking for bottom six guys, because just to, just to take us back to, let's say, the old regime where in 2013 they take Goche and immediately they say in 2013, this guy takes taken 22nd overall or whatever he is. And they like, I'm pretty sure whoever it was at the time, I forget the scout, but I know it was known as in them. And they say like, yeah, this guy's like going to be our third line center of the future. And immediately people are saying like, why are you wasting a, a 21st overall pick on a third line center? 
I think in that sense, that's incredibly stupid because they don't even have the first line center. That's right. You know they what I mean? They don't have the star center. They don't have that second line center. They, they had the young Kadri, which like I, I guess that's a that's a great asset to have, but he's still so raw at that point. Exactly. And and I think now what we need what Leaf fans are saying, like, hey, like, why aren't we trying to draft like skill, skill, skill? So like at the time, like maybe this guy can become like, why aren't we looking for the next Sebastian Ajo? And I would be saying, based off what you just mentioned there, it to me they're thinking like we already have Austin Matthews. We're confident in signing, extending him, right? This team is going to be built around him. We need to find cheaper play. Like we're lo- already looking for cheap bottom six guys. Now we need these guys to be those guys in three, four years so that we have cap space to go out and say, okay, now we can go make, go make a trade for an impact player. Like, in an alternate universe, if they had this type of mentality under Mark Hunter and we're draft and we're drafting with this similar mentality, maybe like 2014, 15, 16, 17, even, I believe Hunter ran that draft too. We're having those guys come in now. Maybe the Leafs have a cap space and the assets to go grab a JT Miller right now. You know what I mean? To supplant that second tier. You know what I mean? You would see a lot of guys from 2016 and 17 draft go into the spots I'm talking about right now, like third line left winger and fourth mm-hmm. line right winger who drives the play and I don't know, third line left defenseman and stuff. And one thing I did not understand with Lou, and Lou, there's been a lot of talk about him in Leafs Nation, but he did one thing good, and that's he did a lot of things good, not just one thing, but I think is he cleaned up a lot of mess. And yeah. one thing I would not understand <laughs> for the life of me is he knew, he said when he was hired that Kyle Dubas is going to be a general manager in three years. He literally said that in his press conference interview. I remember that very yeah. All too, all too well. Yeah. Why didn't, why he wasn't allowed to build his own team from scratch? Exactly. Uh, not, not, not just, not, I, I don't mean that by necessarily signing people, like, but from draft point, draft standpoint, Mike Hunter was in charge of draft. Why? That I would not understand it, and so that's that's a little bit different. And I think Leafs are go- finally going there under Dubas. Yeah, it seems like there was there was there was a lot of power dynamics there. I thought that, uh, like you said, I thought Lou did a lot of good things. Right? He uh, he he. I think what he did was he made the brand more respectable than what it was, but under the old regime, I think. Like, I don't think I would change him coming in. I think what might have been there is that maybe a little bit more foresight into saying, like, okay, like you said, the future, the future is if the future is Kyle, clearly after all in hindsight, right? After all these playoff disappointments, I really do believe that like ownership, Shanahan, they have the full trust to really take this to where Dubit, like where Kyle wants to go. 
right? And where, where Shani and Kyle want to go is I think ownership's comfortable with that. Kyle so is why safe. Didn't they, like, yeah. I, there's a lot of talk there, but Kyle is safe. Yeah, exactly. So we're, that's, again, we're happy to, we're happy to know that because I, all of us, I think are, are, our four teammates here are very passionate about his ability to build this team. So we, we definitely don't want to see him go. So just uh, moving on here, Sam, uh, we, we thank you for your insight on Frazier. I'm sure a lot of Leaf fans will be keeping an eye on him. Um, now we're going to fast forward a little bit to the third round, end of the third round, 79th overall. They trade back again, right? And they go the, a classic Kyle Dubas trade where maybe they don't see who, the, who they're liking on the board in, in this range and they, and they get another pick and move back 16 spots or so uh, into the, what would it have been? The third round, right? 95th overall and 135th overall. And they draft uh, uh, Nicholas Moldenhauer, who is another guy that was kind of talked about as a, like a very typical Leafs guy that they would target. Um, I want to get your thoughts on him. And he's, I think he's a Chicago Steel guy. So the Leafs obviously have some ties to that program. So let's get your thoughts on Nick and then, uh, and then we'll move on to the, uh, the, uh, the next guy that we got. Super um, highly, highly offensive player. Um, great skill set both in scoring and in uh, creating plays. He's really fast and uh, has a great four-way movement. So you get an offensive player that's going to drive a line, I think. He's taller than your usual skill guy that leaves drafted in previous years. Uh, he's, I believe, six six feet tall or something close to that. Yep. And so he's basically a taller version of what they have in prospect pool with Nick Abuzizi. And I, I know I butchered that name and you're no, 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 <laughs> you know, you're good. You're good there. Don't, don't, uh, don't worry that I, his name for some reason is the topic of discussion. The, the, the North American version would be Abuzizi for sure. You're, you're good there. Yeah. So, uh, Back to Moldenhauer, he's a he's a lifelong Leafs fan from Mississauga, yeah. and I think that that's a huge thing. He he's, has the passion. He has the passion. Yeah, we talk about it. But I, I, I love how Leafs Nation went from, oh, this chart, this chart, to does he have a passion or not? Yeah, passion TM. I love, that's actually, probably, you're right. That's my favorite meme on Leafs Twitter these days is the no passion, the passion. passion, the passion meter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so with Molden Howard, I remember his, I believe it was either him or his parents put up a highlight reel from his like bantam years or something. And first 15 seconds of it is just him decking guys on the, in the corner. <laughs> and he's not that type of player necessarily, but he will, he will do it. He will do it to get the and he his typical move, and you will see it a lot. I think Leafs Nation will see it a lot. Is the Mikheyev, uh go into the go into the net and dig the goalie with one move and score. 
And <laughs> a lot of and his goals and, and are like that. It's going to be very repetitive. We like that. I, I like that. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I like and how's it. this and how's the speed? Do what do what works. How's the speed, Sam? Is he uh is he is he a really good yeah? He's he's he might not be the fastest guy, but he is great he's explosive. So his first steps are really fast and he creates a room between himself and the defenseman. Good. Or just in gameplay situation that where he can accelerate fast and then have an advantage in that with playmaking skills and offensive skills in For general. Sure. That's awesome to know. I'm a big fan of guys that where they can match like their the the way that their brains uh consuming information and their hands right like for me i'm i I, you see guys like kapanen right where it's all the the feet are moving quick the mind's not working the hands might not be working right you got mikhaev where sometimes the hands are moving as fast as the the feet but maybe the mind's always not the the like the his he's got mcdavid speed but he doesn't consume information obviously like Connor mcdavid and not just compare him to the best player the most evolutionized player to ever play hockey, but yeah. I, like there, it seems like he's Nick's a guy where he's thinking the game quick as as quick as he's playing it, right? And and like yep. you said, he's got the, the hands as well. So that's awesome. That's a I I, I think he's, he's going to be, be a long term yeah like, long term ish project, but that's a that's a really good project to have for sure. Do you, and I heard that he's going back to UC USHL, but. He, I'm sure he, if he's there, he's from Toronto. He, he definitely is looking to go NCAA. Do you know? Do you happen to have any insight or know where he might be looking to play at what type of program? I have, I have no clue. Yeah, but I, 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 I wish I knew. But yeah, it's probably gonna be Harvard or something. Yeah, he's because he, he's at least one year Le- from there, right? Leaves like Harvard guys, <laughs> and I, I think that connection. There have been a few. Chicago still prospects that went to Harvard. So, well, they like those. They, they, they like the high hockey IQ guys, right? I, 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 was it Nick who was it Moldenhauer who mentioned at the combine or whenever he met with the Leafs, they were the Leafs have this uh, way of evaluating their prospects where they're showing a play that's developing, mm-hmm. then then the screen goes black and they say like what's happening or what's going to happen. I think that was to shout out to another uh, past the guest on this podcast jack Hahn, when he worked for the leafs i think he talked about developing that yeah they still do it he he mentions like that's a good definitely better than asking what their freaking spirit animal is or something like that you know what I mean? <laughs> like so um anyways so that that's great to hear about nick i'm glad that he's got the traits that the leafs are looking for Leafs so, only draft players that, are, that have high iq under dubas they don't draft guys like who might lack in I don't know playmaking ability or something. They they draft guys who process the game fast, and I think that's a good thing, especially for projecting them later. Yeah. It's harder to it's harder to teach that than it is to develop a, a certain skill that makes them projectable, like you're saying, right? So, of course. Okay, so the next guy we got here is. Uh, <clears throat> Dennis Hildeby and the Leafs actually when I was watching the draft funny enough I'm like 
oh, the Leafs drafted a goalie at 122. I was like, wait, did that, was that the pick that they got for trading down? And it's like, no, they, they made a, they traded their 23rd, uh, 2023 fourth for, for this pick. Now, to me, I've, I didn't even know that this guy was eligible. I know that you mentioned that you liked them. I don't, you thought that he might've went undrafted. Because he's so off the radar. Twice already. Exactly, right? So maybe go into go into what makes you a, a fan of Dennis here and and why why you think the Leafs would have jumped up and traded a future fourth for this pick to take this guy when he was already a passed through the draft twice. I I don't remember who wrote the article, but I think there was an information that John Elkin, the, the head of goaltending for the Leafs, really loved him, and I think that's why that's why they jumped up from next year's to this year and get him. And honestly, I love I love the pick. His statistic big thing about goalies his statistical background, and he gets he has it. Sorry, no he has it, and he has that. He has mobility. He has size. The big thing with him is he's six six. He's six feet, six foot six, and two thirty five. Wow, big guy. But big guy, but he's super mobile. Very mobile. Okay. Very flexible. Very, very fast. So that that's a combination. With, also with statistical background that I think they from Gleaves to draft him. I did not expect, he was one of the best goalies in the draft, like from the eligible ones, but I don't, didn't think said with, like we, like we said with him not being drafted twice or was passed on twice. I didn't really think he was going to be drafted, but he did to the Leafs, and I think they can work with him in the long run to get him where his potential might be. And he had a great start this year. <coughs> yeah, he he was really strong in the SHL. I I know it was just seven games, right? But he he like sub two 30. GA sub two goals against nine thirty one save percentage. Another twelve games in the uh j20 so that must be their junior league the the swedish yes. league for farstad so another 28 2.8 goals against 931 save percentage again like it seemed and and it does and it looks like he's got about a 500 record so i'm just i'm obviously not totally educated on like the the how good far 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 was is but if they're just a middle of the road record there i'm assuming like he's not he's not he's facing quality shots he's not like uh he's not a goalie where he's just playing on a really good team and maybe he faces 20 shots a game and they're he's not being tested mm -hmm. that well it seems like he's got just i'm inferring based off his stats there that he he's definitely facing some quality there and and you mentioned john john elkin probably advocated for him if it's if him i think when they sign him out of the shl According to Cap Friendly, they got to sign him by June 1st, 2024. Now, by that time, he's what? He'll be 22, I think. 22, right? 20. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, he's going to be 21 in August. So he'll be about to turn 23 at the time that they got to make a decision on him. 
right? Because it'll be in 2024. Yeah, yeah. About so, to turn 23. Yeah, about to turn 23. So, which is a great indication. Yeah. They got a good runway with them, right? That they could work with them. Yeah, and also by 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 age 23, or closing on age 23, you get a good indication of what you have in goalie. For sure. And he'll be he'll have hopefully two years of full full runway in the SHL. Central action, yeah. For yeah. sure. Yep. So I don't know. He he probably isn't on the well, I assume he's definitely not on the radar for like a world junior team, I guess. Like he he's definitely too he's old. Too now. old. He's too, too old, old now, right? And plus like he might not he, he, been, he wouldn't he have been there be, anyway with Wellstead there, right, in Sweden. I think last last shot he had. For that, for juniors team was like a year ago. Yeah, two uh, two world juniors ago, the one in the Edmonton bubble, the one uh, with yeah. the, where there was no fans, probably. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's good to know. I know the Le- I know everyone everyone in Leafs Nation. They're looking. We're looking for the next goalie, right? We need to draft homegrown uh, homegrown developed goalie that we can. Uh, that we can get ourselves behind and say like, you know what, this is our guy of the future. Obviously we're not trying to put any pressure on Dennis here, but like the best thing you can do as a, as a team is take a shot at the dartboard and, and, and invest in him, right. And invest in his development. And, and like you said, have a projectable pathway. He's a big guy. Right. So that's definitely, that, that'll a definitely be working in his future. Yeah. Okay. So, now we get into the fourth guy who is the second pick that they got in uh, it for trading down or, or sorry, the additional pick that they got for trading down from 79 to 95 with Vegas. And that is another overager out of Russia, Nikita Grabenkin. And Nikita Grabenkin. Yeah. Nikita Grabenkin. And they take him at 135. Now tell us a, a little bit about him, a, an overager. So the it's uh I think he was only one. He's with a pat, been passed through the draft only once, but I yes. I'm seeing six two one eighty three, right? Like this is definitely a little bit the the profile of these guys in terms of fi- the their physical makeup is is definitely a little bit different uh, than someone other than Moldenhauer, right? But like a little bit different than. Uh, who they would usually go for in a later round. So yes. give us some insight on, on Nikita here and uh, um, uh, and where he kind of projects. So Nikita is a playmaker winger that's driving the play on the line. He's very skilled. He's a very good shot, doesn't use it too often. Um, he's great skater in terms of mobility. Not so fast, like straight up speed, but <laughs> round five, that's the guy you want to draft. He is, in terms of like, he's a unique player to me because Leaves they don't have don't have playmaker of that size in their in their in their prospect pool outside of like Matthew Nice. Who is who? Prior to this NCAA season, was a, mostly a playmaker. Yeah. So, with him, it's just 
keeping him developing in either Russia or bringing him over when his contract is up, if in all possible, and just working him because that's a unique player. He has offensive skill set of you mentioned the unusual size, mm-hmm. um, and to me, he's he's the type of player that, if let's say Tyvoid and others like him in the Leafs organization who are on the smaller side, if they were six feet two, they would be Nikita Grebyonkin. So, mm. and I like Tyvoid too. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned him because I'm I, I'm a big fan. I've watched a few of his games in the OHL. He he impressed. Yeah, he's really good. So and you're saying like he's a skill guy, but like in a in a in a bigger man's in a bigger man's body. body. Yeah. Okay? yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Very very intricate skill set. Very soft on the puck, and I I, I think in terms of projection, I think he's projecting really good in terms of like future possible role because of his size, intelligence, and also ability to create plays out of basically nothing at points. So for me that's a for me that's a great pick at 135, especially and Leafs continue to win drafts even when the you when the name value might not be there in terms of like popularity necessarily. So another great pick. Love him. Now he he's an MHL guy, right? He's playing at, in the Russian junior league. He, it says here, according to elite prospects, he got into <clears throat> one game in the KHL in uh, where was it? Magnitogorsk. So do you, are we trying to, we got to be hoping that he gets into at least a little bit more KHL action, but, and maybe this is a good, just a good quick segue into what your thoughts are on how these young guys are, are treated in terms of development in the KHL, right? Like not like the, it seems like that they're just reluctant in the KHL to play these young players. Right. So are you thinking that it's maybe better for him to stay in that MHL? Like, I think oh, who was the guy that they took in 2022? A little bit smaller guy, Ovchinikov. slider of Chinnikov, and he had a 21, I think, or 2020. It says 25th round. At, funny enough, 137th, 137th overall. So literally two spots after they would have drafted Nikita here, and he was out of. Oh, I can't even pronounce. Novosibirsk. Yes. So this is a. And he had about, in his draft year, 55 points in 54 games. And uh, Nikita's got 64 and 58, right? So are we, are, are you thinking on, just want to get your quick thoughts on, like, is it better for these younger Russians to stay in the MHL and then, like, hopefully get them, sign him to their ELC, get them into North America like they did with Dimitri? I don't know how, where they yeah. really see Dimitri in the Marlies lineup. I know there's a lot of, people discussing on Twitter that they're not really happy with the coaching staff in the Marlies and how they're like, I know they're utilizing the, the young guys a little bit, but like, what is, I don't know. I don't really follow Dimitri his game since he came to North America. So are we thinking that similar path for Nikita where he, he goes Probably. into the MHL? 
uh, for another year or so and then sign maybe try and sign him and get him over to North America? Yeah, probably. The ideal spot would be VHL, which is the AHL to the KHL sort of thing. So, but they are really reluctant to put those guys there. They are even either because they have, I, I believe in Russia, they have certain quotas that they need to meet, need to meet with young guys. So that's why you see guys like, I don't know, Ovchenko get into lineup, but no, not actually play much. They get a shift or two, and that's it, because they need to meet quotas for the young players they have in rules. Otherwise, Ovchenko would not even be on the roster with Sibir. Yeah. And same thing with Krebenkin. Uh, with him, it's, I would keep him in MHL, but if he can push for a spot in the KHL, definitely KHL. Because I, I think the the importance he he pushes the play who pushes the pace a lot and in Russia they hate those guys you yeah. don't see them on top lines. They're east west. It's it's a lot more east west Russia, right? They're not, not, uh, not skilled guys. No, nobody like you see their top players. They don't project well into NHL. Same would happen with Kuzmenko. You you would see. I am telling you right now. So, so you think that Vancouver, like that, not to get totally off topic, but I thought. So I'm I'm glad you mentioned him because I was thinking like you know what the Leafs have really dipped into Russia for a few, for a few years now to try and find some like an entry level deal for a guy and they've been pining for a winger for Tavares and Nylander. You know what I mean? Like maybe they try and just sign him just to give him a shot and then if it doesn't work out like it didn't with. Uh, Barabanov, they they trade him again and maybe have that type of agreement. So I'm wondering why. Maybe quickly go into why the Leafs weren't really in on him, and like you, they just they're thinking that similar to you that his his game won't his style of play won't really project to the NHL. You saw firsthand, I believe, with Nikita Gusev when he came to Leafs camp. Yes, that he was skilled, really, really skilled, great power play option. But no pace in his game. He looked slow. Like, like he, he's a good skater. But he looked slow in that system. Mm-hmm. And I think NHL is trending in that direction, direction where pace is the critical thing you need to have in order to play regular hockey. There and we see that with Tampa, we see that with Colorado, we see that with Leafs. Those top teams already are going in that direction. So if you don't have that, most top Russian player, Russian players who are coming over at like age 24, 25, they don't have that pace because they never needed that pace in their game in Russia. They have skill, they, they are skilled players. Nikita Gusev is as skilled as they come. Yeah, Kuzmenko is too, but same thing. He's fast, but he looks he's 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 very good skater, but he just looks slow. He plays slow. Play slow. Yeah, I was just you took the words right out of my mouth. They might be fast, but when you play slow, might not translate to to the NHL the way that the NHL is going. Okay, awesome. So uh, as we move on here. We got one more guy, and uh, 
the Leafs end the draft in the seventh round, 28, uh, sorry, 218th overall. And they draft maybe someone who is a little fits the physical profile of someone that they've been drafting in the past in Brandon Lazowski. Brandon Lazowski uh, out of, I think, Saskatoon, right? Or Saskatchewan. Yeah, Saskatoon Blades. Yeah, so he he is, uh, I think, 5'9", right? 5'9", buck 90 or something. Yeah, but yeah, it says a buck 81. So for 5'9", that's pretty, like, it's not slight, right? Like, looks like a pretty stronger stronger guy. He's not totally, uh, yeah. he's not totally he's light. He's definitely only bulkier side. Yeah, for that for, for that for that height, uh, fifty eight points in sixty eight games in his draft year, right? That to me, for a guy that's in the seventh round, that's similar to what you're saying there, where it's like a Ty Voigt guy with that size. If this guy is maybe six one, he's going in the first round. Yeah, in, you know what I mean? or like at least top six. With 62. his scoring ability, with his scoring ability. If he was six feet or six one or six two, whatever, he's going first round. For sure. I had him I had him in at like fifty-seven in my ranking. Wow. And, so and you, so I, you... I had to put him low, lower because of the size thing. It's it's important. People on the outside might not think it's that important, but it is. The size? Yeah. I think yeah. and I think we're th- and we're seeing that with the way that the, the way the playoffs always end up is that like it's just until the game starts getting called a little bit differently when like when the chips are down really it's that like you, you need to take up space as a matter of fact right because the sheer infractions that people will do to you it's just it's it becomes impossible to to show your skill yeah right but you need that tenacity you need that People talk about it in a funny way, but you need the dog in the in the yeah. player. <laughs> you need that dog in you, right? Yeah, and and exactly, and and so so you're obviously a big fan of Brandon's to have him that high, and then for him to take him in the seventh round, I'm sure you were super pumped. I believe I, if I'm recalling correctly, I, there was a few fired up tweets that you had right after that pick. So yeah, uh, yeah. so you're so you're happy with that one now. Uh, obviously i'm assuming a lot a little bit longer uh development path for him right he's gonna go to the chl he's gonna obviously go yeah. back maybe he's he can fight blades for a year or two could he do you do you see him as uh as someone who could maybe fight for like a, a bottom of the lineup role on next year's world juniors team because do you know his size might yeah. prevent that i don't know but like his size shot. might be a factor in that, but in general, I if he keeps producing and scoring, I think he will be definitely an option. I'm not sure he's going to get it because they are most likely going to take guys who went the first or second round. Yeah. and Or I are going to go in the first or second round next year. There's exactly. a lot of good ones. Um, but he's got an option. He's one of those guys that drafted really low, but he's he immediately jumps up when you look at the seven round like, oh okay, this guy might be something. Hmm. When so, when we come back to see this 
this list. Yeah. Draft list in like, I don't know. Five years. Five, ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like his energy. I like his goal scoring. I know Leeds like his goal scoring as well. So, so, yeah. So with that, as we, as we uh, cap off on the final pick of this draft, I'm going to reference a tweet from your, from your account that you, uh, that you made here. Where is it? Here, here we go. And you're quote tweeting Chase McCallum and his, uh, and his, uh, he had a chart here based on the value add added that they made per pick. And it showed that the Leafs and the lightning had one of the best drafts based off their opportunity with the, with the picks that they had. And in your tweet to quote you, it's the Leafs are getting like three NHLers from this draft name value and hype value might not be satisfied for some, but a lovely, lovely draft by the Leafs. Now, obviously with those words, we'll tell our listeners a lot about how you think um, in in combination with what you said here today in our interview, what, if you had to give them a grade overall, the Leafs on, on this draft, I know a letter doesn't really do it justice, uh, but just to maybe put stake your claim in there for our listeners, what do you think? A, a minus. A minus? That's strong.